In a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. Sometimes I think we assume life is meant to be rainbows and butterflies. (laughs) Right. I've been talking a lot on the value proposition of adventure. And there is a piece of adventure. There's a lot of scientific research actually behind adventure being a platform to help people work through discomfort, but also embrace discomfort. A lot of times people don't want to be uncomfortable, right? They want to be comfortable. We want to be happy. We don't want to deal with these stressful things that are happening outside our comfort zone. You know, there's a way to optimize those things too. So you don't have to sit in discomfort. My podcast actually helped me in my business life and my business life helped me in my podcasting and personal life. One example of that this week is that I prefer to optimize the pain points. And in business, we're trying to always solve for the pain points of our customers. And one of the ways we do that is to optimize for joy, right? So we want to give them a great feeling so that they get the good of the experience without being stuck in the yucky part, right? The uncomfortable, the discomfortable part. So let me put this into family terms. I despise carving pumpkins. I really don't enjoy it. In fact, my oldest is probably with me on this one. Halloween, eh, like it's okay. (laughs) It's probably not my favorite. In fact, I asked my oldest if he wanted to go to a haunted house and he said, and this is a pretty octave child, and he said, you know, mom, I think I'd rather sit still on a couch for three hours than go to a haunted house. And I thought, okay, I got your point. I felt that way about Halloween for a number of years. It's fun. Like, I love the joy of seeing kids in their costumes and and those things. But really, it's one day and it's just a lot of work and I don't love it, right? On the flip side, I do love roasted pumpkin seeds. (laughs) So if I could find a way for my kids, so I still have two kids that love to carve pumpkins. If I could find a way for the kids to carve pumpkins and we just get all those pumpkin seeds and we could roast them and eat them and be in heaven, that sounds like the perfect win. Well, that's what happened. There happened to be a Halloween party at our church and the youth group was offering free pumpkins for the kids and pumpkin carving. And I didn't even have to be there. There were plenty of chaperones with the older kids that my youngest two were able to go carve their pumpkins. And yes, we were sent home with a gallon size bag of pumpkin seeds. Really? Could this get any better, right? So sometimes I think we think of outsourcing as being a business solution. We outsource, we pay for, but really it's an optimization strategy. <laughs> it can be a way to utilize your community, your friends, your network to do the things they love and are good at so that you can kind of alleviate some of the pain points in your life and really lean into the joy. So I was really excited to have this example in our house this week. It was like the win-win-win, right? I didn't have to carve pumpkins. My youngest two got pumpkins. In fact, 
My oldest still got a pumpkin because they carved one for him. We have an entire pan of roasted pumpkin seeds. I think all is well. But the power of that comes in community. You find people who are willing to support you in the low points and celebrate you in the high points. And it's a diverse blend of people who may or may not be like you. They may value some of the things such as adventure or family experiences or Halloween in this case. And we can optimize for those strategies. We can utilize our network to support our kids having a great experience. And we don't have to necessarily do all the work. And I think sometimes we overlook the power of community. I'm excited to bring one of the community members on this week. And you'll hear from her in a little bit because I think it's been an inspiration to see really just ordinary other families doing adventurous things. There are a ton of examples. I am not the expert. I've said that since day one. I'm just crowdsourcing other ideas. I'm the person behind the mic, but there are so many awesome things happening in the Ordinary Sherpa Facebook community. I'm going to highlight just one of our Ordinary Sherpa members here today, but I would encourage you, if you're looking for something and you feel stuck, there's an amazing community over here. And again, I'll link to it in the show notes. Come join us. Come ask your questions. There's no such thing as a stupid question. We might not always have the answers, but we'll try. We'll try to help you or at least point you in the right direction. It's very generous. And so with that, I'm excited to introduce you to today's guest. Tracy Philippi is a Four Seasons Adventure enthusiast raising three young kids, dual citizens between Madison, Wisconsin, and Canada. During COVID, Tracy and her family completed their goal of camping, hiking, and swimming in all 48 Wisconsin state parks. Tracy's a professional fundraiser, leading the charge to build a library in her community, the only one in Day County, by the way, without a library, as a passionate volunteer. Currently on a gap year from paid employment, Tracy is focusing on slowing down, solo backpacking with her kids, and expanding her vegetable and pollinator gardens, and reading as much as humanly possible. Tracy has a master's in environmental studies from York University in Toronto and is a certified Cicerone. Tracy, it is so exciting. We've interacted so many times, but it's so exciting to have you here. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. Thank you so much, Heidi. I'm just thrilled to be here. I'm actually, I would consider myself a mega fan of Ordinary Sherpa. When I first heard you on the Choose FI podcast many months ago, I think I've listened to every single episode, read your book, and really enjoyed interacting with the community in the Facebook group. Awesome. I would agree. You're like one of the super fans. I love it. <laughs> we're, we're friends super now. Fans. Just, yes, I yeah. know. I know. Hopefully we can meet in person one day soon. 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 We have a date on the calendar. It's going to happen. Yes. So before we go too much, we have so much to unpack here. Can you just explain a certified Cicerone? What is that and how did that come to be? Absolutely. So a Cicerone is essentially a sommelier. Sommeliers, of course, are wine experts, but a Cicerone is a beer expert. So to become a certified Cicerone, you have to take a pretty lengthy test and really understand all of the world's beer styles. You have to know how to produce beer. You have to understand how draft systems work in bars. You need to know how to pour a proper pint. Um, you need to know about glassware. It's really just understanding the full customs and cultures behind beer styles and beer production. And I found it also makes a pretty great party trick when I'm with other people. I can really impress them with my beer knowledge. So it's been a fun certification to pursue. Yeah. So do you, when you travel, do you guys stop at different breweries and check things out and just kind of keep yourself fresh? We do. When I was working in the beer industry, I felt like I needed to keep trying different styles to keep my palate fresh. 
finished, but now I really just drink what I want to, which has kind of been a blessing in disguise. But yeah, when we're when we're traveling around the U.S. and Canada, we always make a point to stop into breweries. And I'm sure you'll agree, but they're remarkably family friendly. There's so many breweries with big, beautiful beer gardens that the kids can run free in or toddlers and babies are welcome to join in on the fun. So yeah, I think we've incorporated our love of beer and uh, our parenting journey nicely. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree, actually. My husband is a very big fan of beer. I'm less of a fan, but I love the culture of it. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, beer's been around for thousands and thousands of years. As long as there's been people growing things, people have been fermenting things. So we've just kind of refined the process over time. Very cool. Okay. You kind of alluded to this too, but now I want to dive into, you mentioned when you're traveling around United States and Canada, and you guys have dual citizenship, correct? Have you always, so you're originally from Canada, correct? So I am originally from small town central Wisconsin, oh. Watoma, Wisconsin, which is smack dab in the middle of the state. Not too far from where you are, I think. Yeah. But my husband is Canadian. He's from Regina, Saskatchewan, which is just north of Montana in the Canadian prairies. Okay. And then all of your kids now have dual citizenship as well? They do. Yeah. So all three of our children who are eight, five, and one are dual citizens of both countries. Um, Our oldest was born there in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and our youngest two were born here in Madison. And then my husband, of course, is a Canadian citizenship and has an American green card. And I'm an American citizen and I have the equivalent of a Canadian green card. So it allows us to move really freely between both countries. Our kids will be able to work, study, travel, and enjoy the full benefits of being citizens of both countries. So it's unique perspective. And I'm really grateful that how my life's turned out. (laughs) Yeah. Did you have to like apply for that? Or was it because you got married to a Canadian citizen that you automatically, like, is there a process in terms of you getting? That's a good question. So yes, I could have become a Canadian permanent resident because I married a Canadian citizen, but I actually did my master's in Toronto, which is where I met my husband. So I was able to, first I applied for a study visa, then a postgraduate work visa, and then a permanent residency program. So the next step beyond being a permanent resident of Canada is to become a citizen, but that would require me moving back there. So we'll see what the future holds. I'm not ruling anything out at this point. Right? Yeah. Awesome. So I don't want to wait too much longer to dive in. One of the reasons I have been fascinated with your journey and some of the things you have shared both in the Ordinary Sherpa space, but also just on your personal network, is this goal of visiting all of the state parks in Wisconsin. So first of all, you indicate, thank you for this, there's 48 because I was not up on the latest one. And I know... There is 49 now. (laughs) Um, And you're like avid after, you know, not just visiting, right? What I loved is you didn't just like, oh, I'm going to visit all these state parks. You like go deep. You stay, you camp, you hike, you swim. So just kind of tell me, what was the impetus? How did this become the family goal? Yeah. So I'll I'll first start by saying that there are 49 state parks, but there are also state forests, um, different natural preserves, and our goal was specifically state parks. There are many more public lands that we can choose to visit in Wisconsin, and I hope we do. But yeah, how did we get there? So like I said, my husband and I met in Toronto, Ontario, and we we were always pretty big outdoors people. We didn't have a car, so it made it much more challenging to travel to rural places, but anytime we could rent one or hop a bus, we would be camping all throughout Ontario and later in Nova Scotia once we moved there. We moved back here and settled in the Madison area when our oldest was about one to be closer to grandparents. We didn't 
go camping until our oldest child was three and our middle kiddo was one. And I think we initially found it was a really cost-effective way to see different parts of our states, especially the Door County area. And I'm sure there's people here not from Wisconsin. Door County is the kind of the thumb of Wisconsin that sticks up into Lake Michigan. It's a very beautiful area, white sands. You almost feel like you're in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. But it's expensive, especially for a young family with young kids. So Mm -hmm. we just started camping there. And it was also around this time that our oldest started to develop some social anxiety. She would really struggle if we were at birthday parties or if we were at trampoline parks or the zoo. But the moment that she would kind of be left to her own devices out in the woods, she would just kind of come alive. And that was encouraging to us. And we would all come home feeling refreshed instead of defeated. So, you know, we got to about eight parks, perhaps. And I'm a very goal-oriented person. So once I saw that we had visited that many, I knew that we it was our turn to visit all of them. And thankfully, COVID was kind of our blessing in disguise. It really helped us to hone in on various parts of the state when we couldn't do much else or see friends or family. And um, yeah, we spent the COVID months visiting every park in every corner of the state. It took us a total of about three years and 10 months, plus another baby in the mix, but uh, we did it. And now we can focus on going back to parks that really sparked joy and um, that we found incredibly beautiful and engaging. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think that paints a really nice picture of, I want to talk a little bit more about your oldest too, and and what that experience was like here in a second. But I want to start by saying, you know, I find it interesting that you say, okay, after three years and 10 months, you accomplished that goal. So it's not like you had this quick, we got to hurry up and do it all in a year or in, you know, you didn't have a timeline necessarily set on it. It it seemed more like when we have the opportunity, we're going to do this. And that was more of an intention. Is that fair? I would say that's fair. Our initial goal was five years because I thought that that was absolutely realistic. And perhaps if COVID didn't come along, it would have taken us five years. But if you if you look at a map of Wisconsin state parks, they're kind of clustered in different parts of the state. There's tons in Door County. There's some in Northern part. There's some in the Western part. There's a bunch around us in Madison. So we would kind of plan a week long summer vacation and hit as many as we could, or we'd hit a couple on the way home. So yeah, I would say doing it slowly and really immersing ourselves in the landscape of that park and uh, what it had to offer was a priority for us. And the things you did, you know, you were specific in your intro, which I love too. You didn't just camp there. You had these maybe intentions behind that as well, right? What are we going to do and how? what counts as an experience in this state park? So how did you land on swimming, hiking, and camping? That's just kind of what we did. When I looked back at all of the various activities that our family did, those were those were our interests. We probably camped at three quarters of the state parks, I would say, maybe, oh gosh, 35 of them. All of our kids, especially the older two, love to swim. They could spend an entire day on a beach like most kids their age. And Wisconsin has some amazing lakes, especially the Great Lakes that we're surrounded by. And then hiking. I I do a lot of hiking with our youngest kid, who's about, oh gosh, 21 months now. The two of us will just take off for the day and I'll carry her on my back and we'll hike around. So I think I outlined those three parameters because that's really what we were doing based upon our interests. Yeah. And they don't cost, you know, I think that's one thing when you're adventuring with kids, it's easy to, you had already mentioned that it was cost effective, but also these are pretty, in terms of like the barrier to entry, it's pretty low, Absolutely. low barriers. You know, you don't need equipment. You don't necessarily, was that part of the impetus behind it too? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think a state park pass, I get it this time of year for the upcoming year. I think it's $28, maybe a little bit more if you want to add a second 
vehicle sticker on, which we usually do. So we have options. But yeah, I mean, once you're there, you pack a picnic. There's only a couple of them that have gift shops. So you aren't really that tempted to spend money. So for anybody that, you know, is on a budget or doesn't want to spend money on a plane ticket, state parks are a really great option to to see your state, fully understand the landscape of your state, but also yeah, save a pretty penny. I remember a couple of them. So we have friends that we camp with every year. And this kind of started even before we had kids. And it just kept going now that we have kids and our kids are in middle school and some of their kids are in high school already. And I remember thinking like, this is the one way we can get together and everybody can come and everybody makes it a priority. But also there's like this almost like a little scavenger hunt of like, what is in this park, right? (laughs) And what's available. And sometimes it's been, we always go for a hike or a bike ride. And sometimes we even do like a night hike. And we've had some pretty remarkable stories. So I'm kind of curious, what are some of the stories that have evolved from your experiences in state parks? Yeah. So what's really wonderful about Wisconsin state parks is that we have a little bit of everything. I mean, we have sand dunes, we have waterfalls, we have towering bluffs that are left behind from glaciers. We have incredibly remote parks where you can feel like you're removed from the entire world. A couple highlights that stick out in my mind. The first was at Straight Lake State Park, and this isn't the kind of the far northwest corner of our state. It's a tiny little park that used to be a Boy Scout camp. It has 12 walk-in sites ranging from maybe a quarter of a mile all the way up to two miles to get into. And the sites are so completely separated from one another. So you truly feel alone. So my husband and I went there when I was in the third trimester of pregnancy with our third kiddo. The the other two were with grandma and grandpa so we could have our little baby moon and you know, I was pretty uncomfortable then. So he carried an air mattress in a couple miles for me. <laughs> I was going to say, you win an award. You, I'm already like, you're crazy. <laughs> but you know, you know, especially when you have three kids, when you're just with one kid or when you're alone, it is so refreshing. So yeah. you know, even though I was very, very pregnant at the time, the fact that the other two weren't around to bug us, it just felt like, you know, this tropification. But anyway, so Straight Lake State Park is in the middle of nowhere. And I was awake the entire night because there were packs of wolves just howling away at the moon. And of course, my husband slept through the entire thing. But I would say I was a little more frightened in the moment. But looking back at it, I just feel like it was such a special experience that hopefully the baby felt too. Yeah, very cool. And you had alluded to swimming as well. Do your kids have a favorite swimming hole or a state park that they enjoyed swimming in that's kind of unique? Our middle kiddo actually has asked when we're going to go back to Kohler Andre State Park, which is south of you on Lake Michigan. And this is where the big, beautiful, protected sand dunes are. So we had to have a campsite there. I think it's campsite number 83. If I I try to remember the really good site so we can go back to them. That had just a trail. It cut through the woods, past big, beautiful natural playground, and then led straight to the miles and miles of golden sands. And our kids loved that. We were there over Memorial Day, so it was a little bit cold. Uh, but the first, the oldest, who's or my daredevil, definitely managed to make it into the water. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd say that's our that's our favorite sandy beach. Nice. Yeah, those are great. I don't know that we were at that one. It may have been Two Rivers um, area that I was thinking of. But we also had an experience over Memorial Day. And yeah, the kids are like, their lips are purple. And I was like, aren't you cold? And they're like, no, this is nice. It's nice in here. Like, 
Yeah. As you know, parents are standing around drinking a beer and watching the kids while the kids are running around and pumping blood <laughs> yes. through their veins. So they, they can stay a little warmer yeah. than us. <laughs> yeah. They've got a little bit more energy, a little bit more going on in there. That's for sure. Was there ever an experience where you felt like, oh, why are we doing this? <laughs> why did we decide that this was the goal? Yes. Oh my gosh. So many, <laughs> so many of those actually. And I, I try to really share quote unquote camping failures with friends. Just, you know, we, we've gotten to a place where we can do this in our sleep. The kids love to camp. We can get out of the house in an hour and it's just become a normal part of our life, but it hasn't always been that way. So I try to share those memories with friends so that they know that it's not always sunshine and roses. But one memory that sticks out in my mind is a early camping trip that we took to Big Bay State Park. And Big Bay is part of the Apostle Islands, which is a, a national seashore in Lake Superior. So, you know, you have to take a ferry to get there. It takes five hours from Madison to just get to the ferry. So it's a commitment. You know, you don't just decide to do this in the morning and go to Big Bay State Park. So we had both of our kids. They were young, maybe four and two at the time. We were going to spend maybe three or four nights there and really explore the island. However, on night one, our oldest child took their pull-up off in the middle of the night and peed all over all of our bedding. Oh. So so our our camping trip was over. You know, there was no, we were on an island. There was no place to go and wash our bedding. We didn't really feel like sleeping in a stinky tent. Our moods were really sullen. So we just packed up and we drove home. And I think we stayed at a Super 8 on the way home. And I'll always remember that one for sure. (laughs) (laughs) There's one more too that this didn't cause us to leave the park, but it happened at Wailuzang State Park, which is on the far western side of the state. It's a pretty popular park. Um, It overlooks the Mississippi River. So again, these big, beautiful towering bluffs. We were a little late to book this one. So we were kind of in the reserve campground, I'll call it. And the kids had gone to bed, they were sleeping in the tent. And my husband and I looked down and Mm. we saw several skunks circling our feet. So we freaked out, we threw the dog in the back of the truck because we didn't want him to get sprayed. And we spent the rest of the night in the tent just watching them. And while the skunks were just walking around our site, we could hear cows mooing in the background. And the people next to us were listening to a horror film outside. So we just heard these bloody shrieks. And it was just, it was just such a bizarre experience. And that was actually the last time we tent camped before we bought our camper. So it kind of led us into the next phase of our camping journey as a family. <laughs> but I, I, those three combinations of skunks, cows, and horror will always stand out in my mind. Yeah. It's funny because when, so we were always a tent camping family I, mm-hmm. and our experience at Wyalusing was nothing like that, right? <laughs> so yeah, no. Oh, really? It was very were, different. That's so funny. Were you in the sites overlooking the river where there's like a rock face? Yeah. I don't remember which loop we were in, but we definitely were like in a loop with a lot of other campers. And there was a, a common area in the middle that was like open green space, a little more removed from cows cows or (laughs) skunks or anything but I do remember very distinctly the time we were no longer a tent camping family (laughs) (laughs) everybody has one of those experiences I think when you're kind of progressing along the camping journey but that being said so we got a camper and now I'm back to doing backpacking trips with the kids one-on-one in our small tent so I find I'm kind of craving like simplicity and remoteness but also at the same time, on a different trip with the whole family, I want comfort and protection from the skunks or what it might be. <laughs> yes. 
I like the warmth. I'll say that. Like that's the one thing. So yeah. I I think the piece we were in. Um, gosh, I wish I could remember the name of it. It was in the center of the state near. Merrill, Wisconsin was the state park that we were at and it rained for three days straight. Mm. And I had a hundred pound dog in a kennel in our, in our little tent, three young kids (laughs) under five. And I was just, I'm done. Right. I can't entertain these three kids and this dog in this tiny tent anymore. (laughs) It could be cozy for one night, but yeah, three nights of that, that's rough. Yeah, we turned the minivan has like one of those little DVD players. And so we flipped the seats and we were thinking like, oh, we'll camp out in there. And that did not work either. (laughs) And again, you remember those things, right? Those are those are memories to be made. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like demanded my husband take me to Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, at least you didn't end up at a hotel. So there you go mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. And I would agree, you know, we've gone back and forth. So we we now obviously have an RV, but we had the pop-up and the pop-up was like the step up, right? It was a mm-hmm. great next step and we loved it because we had power. I think that was one of the luxuries that we were realizing and being off the ground, even when it was raining, you know, just being off the ground was really nice. So. Yeah. And you're probably less likely to have a leak in an RV compared to a pop-up or a tent too. So you, know, you have that added yeah. security of once you get wet, it goes downhill quickly. You know, there's still things that can go wrong. The cable that raises and lowers our pop-up broke one time. So that kind of put a real damper on the camping weekend because we couldn't get in. <laughs> we couldn't oh. really raise or lower our ticket. We're like, okay, well, change of plans. Not sure what we're going to do now. My husband did actually end up getting to fix it. So it, we, you know, it wasn't all bets are off and camping weekend's over, but. Oh, good. It's helpful that you have a handy husband too yeah. who can solve some of those problems on the road without a lot of tools at his disposal. Yeah. My husband is a software engineer, so he can fix anything on a computer, but he he tries really hard. I'll say that. Well, maybe we should start camping together. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. That sounds great. I'm going next weekend if you want to come. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I want to dive a little bit deeper. And, you know, there's people that haven't camped and they don't really understand. And maybe it's not even camping. But tell me more about, like, how has this state park experience really impacted your family? Maybe your parenting style or what have you seen in your kids that maybe you didn't appreciate or didn't notice as much before you did this camping experience or this state park experience? That's a really interesting question. I think my my kids are just now starting to realize that not everybody camps. They just assume that it's an important part of everybody's life. And so, you know, we get to have a lot of great conversations about how families have different priorities. And this just happens to be one of our family priorities. And it's something we all really enjoy doing together. I think what's been kind of interesting for me to see is that Through exploring state parks, the kids have really been able to hone in on their own particular interests. Our old, and I've been more comfortable as a parent letting them follow those interests as opposed to just trying to mold little mini versions of myself. Mm. I think of our oldest kiddo, she, as soon as she could walk, she would be climbing up every single rock. She was fearless and she was so sure footed and brave. And that's kind of led into her eight year old passion of rock climbing. So now she's on the Madison rock climbing team. We just got back from a rock climbing trip in Devil's Lake where she went up climbing with outfitters. So she's exploring her interests in that way that I don't think she would have if she didn't have this constant exposure to free play in nature. And our middle kiddo, he will be turning six next week. He, As long as he's close to me, he's happy, but he's very attentive and curious. And he's always exploring and picking up rocks 
he would find a rock all the way across the stream and go in to get it and bring it back and try to identify it. And that's kind of led into his interest of geology and geodes. He's actually having a geode-themed birthday party tomorrow. And so all of his party favors are different types of rocks. And it's been good for me to kind of let go of what what and who I thought my kids were and giving them that freedom to explore nature has helped me get there as a parent. Oh, that's so insightful. I'm so, I mean, I don't want to say like proud of you, but I'm really proud of you because I, (laughs) I think that's hard to, first of all, as a mom, right? It's easy to think we need to like be in charge, Mm -hmm. figure it all out and allowing your kids to be brave can sometimes be scary, right? Because you're never quite sure what's going to happen next and what that might mean for your family. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think of your experience with your middle child breaking her arms and how that completely changed the early start of your year. But she got right back on the bike and she's going for it. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it amazing how kids like teach us things? And I think that's one thing I've really totally. loved seeing in this community too, is what your kids are really capable of doing might not align with what you thought they were able to do or surprise you, I guess. Absolutely. Our, our big summer trip this year, we were in British Columbia for two weeks, exploring the coasts and various islands. And my oldest kid, who was seven at the time, jumped off a 30-foot cliff. Yeah. And <laughs> To me, that was just, I mean, like my heart was pounding. I felt like it was me doing it. You know, I was had an outside of my body experience because there is my child doing something that they might not return from. But, you know, it was it was perfectly safe. We had found a, a spot where other teens and adults were jumping. But I watched that video, oh gosh, like once a week just to remind myself how capable she is and how well, this world is hers for the taking. Yeah. It's great. That's so fascinating. And overcoming fears, I think, is interesting to watch as well. Kind of similar, a little different. We were in Hawaii and we were camping literally on the side of a cliff. <laughs> and my daughter was convinced that we were going to fall off the cliff in the middle of the night. Like she was just oh, convinced that something really bad was going to happen. And it took us a while. I was like, well, we, we're not leaving. Like we don't have that option right yeah. now. Like this is this is where we're staying tonight. And she settled in and by the end of that, so we only stayed there one night, but by the next morning, there was this ladder that you could take down the cliff and my son really wanted to do it. And I was like, there's no way I cannot, I can't even (laughs) feel confident in my own abilities to go down the cliff, let alone help you down or monitor and feel comfortable with you going down. So I was like, there's no way. So I sat at the top and my husband was like, I'll do it. I'll take them. And I was like, you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and sometimes I think it's worse being the person watching, right? Because you're I like, know, oh, I can I know. see all the things that could potentially go wrong. But at the same time, if I freak out, then they're going to freak out. And that's just going to make it worse. So exactly. It's a good exercise in just being calm and trusting your kid for sure. <laughs> awesome. I want to just share or hear more about, I know you're kind of in a gap year experience. We're obviously just embarking on our gap year experience. Yeah. What has this been for you and what kind of things have you done or what have you explored and how are you liking it? Yeah, well, I've had a bit of a, well, I'll start by explaining how I got to this point of taking a gap year. I had been working for a medium-sized nonprofit foundation in Madison for four and a half years or so. And an opportunity came up for a new building to be built and they were looking for somebody to run the capital campaign. And that was something I knew absolutely nothing about. And I thought that would be a really unique learning opportunity for me and maybe pave the way for helping with larger capital campaigns in the future. Anyway, but it required giving up my existing job as foundation manager to do so, which I happily took up 
that opportunity, knowing that I'd have a little bit more time at home with my five-year-old at the time who was in half-day 4K and our baby at the time. So I was initially supposed to go back in the summer. That didn't happen because of city budgets and challenges there. Then it got pushed back to next January, which would have given me a full 12-month gap year. However, I found out recently, within the last month or so, that the position that I was returning to is no longer there. So I'm no longer on a gap year. I am a, I guess I'm a stay-at-home mom now, oh. <laughs> which you know I've had to kind of like shift my identity in the last month or so to figure out who I am and what's next. But you know, it's actually been a huge blessing because I, our third kid, and maybe you feel the same when you had a third kid because you're a more confident parent. I just love spending time with her. She's easy and she's fun and she'll go on hikes with me in the middle of the week. And uh, so I've been enjoying our time together and trying to just be present in this period of time. But I've also, I do a lot of volunteer work in our community as well. And I think that's been keeping my mind stimulated enough to have a little bit of balance. Wow. Well, that's, yeah, I can see that's brave of you. (laughs) And I am really impacted by that. Just noticing you're getting so much more time to be present with your daughter and seeing the value of that. I probably am not in the same boat as you are because I feel guilt around my third. I'm like, oh gosh, my poor third child, he's seven. And I am, what happened to the last three years? You know, (laughs) you're taking your maternity leave next year is what you're doing. So you can have that time with them. That's all it is. I remember when, when you were talking about taking a year off. You just thought it was a monumental time with the age of your kids and you were never going to get that time back. And I feel that way about having a toddler as well. You know, I'm never going to have a baby or a toddler again. This is it for me. So I may as well embrace it and, you know, live life to the fullest as I can. Exactly. Time is the non-renewable resource, right? We can't make more of it. We can't. Yeah. It's 24 hours no matter what. So yeah, exactly. And you can't get it back. Awesome. Well, Tracy, is there anything else that you wanted to share that we didn't talk about or anything that you think would be helpful for listeners to know more about that uh, you'd like to share with them? Yeah, I don't necessarily have a an online persona that I share with people or a website or anything, but I have a lot of people that ask me for tips for camping with young kids. So I kind of tried to synthesize some suggestions that I would love to share with you and your listeners if you'd like to hear it about how to get started. Yes, please. Okay. So I have seven. I'll, I'll try to go through them relatively quickly here for everybody. But my first recommendation is to completely lower your expectations. You know, you might have to leave early because you have a bedwetter or you don't like cooking over the campfire and that feels overwhelming to you. It's okay to drive into town and grab a pizza and bring it back. Just lower your expectations and enjoy your time in nature. Uh, My second suggestion is to camp with a big group of friends or one-on-one if you have multiple kids. At the beginning of every camping season, I always send all of my other camping friends our camping schedule and I say, hey, come meet with us. Half of the time someone comes out and the kids run around and just have such a great time when they're with their other friends running wild through the woods. And then on the opposite side of the spectrum, if you're a parent of multiple kids, I cannot recommend enough doing one-on-one camping trips where it's just you and one of your children. So you can just focus on them and have really great quality time. My third recommendation is that it takes about 45 minutes of unstructured play for kids to start being creative and using their imaginations. Don't just expect to go out there and kids are going to be, you know, building sandcastles or climbing trees. It, It takes them time to kind of acclimate to their surroundings, and then you'll be amazed by what they're able to do. My fourth recommendation is to, I've been telling this one a lot lately as a as you know, we're coming out of COVID and people are, are looking to get out there is to pack light and keep it really easy and challenge yourself to leave the what if items behind. 
and it'll make you more resourceful in the moment. Our family has this large Tupperware box that contains all of our camping stuff, you know, our sleeping bags, our flashlights, our garbage bags, so that we can just move it from the garage into the pop-up camper and go. And, you know, we're not really tempted by all the trendy items that we see other people maybe feeling like they need. (laughs) My fifth recommendation is kind of actually maybe contradict my fourth recommendation, but is to dress for every occasion. Our family prefers to camp in the spring and fall when there aren't bugs because Wisconsin is very muggy. And uh, so we prefer the non-buggy seasons. So we always carry wool base layers with us, wool hats, wool socks. And we always, no matter what the forecast is, we take rain gear. Everybody having rain pants has been such a lifesaver for us over the last couple of years. My sixth recommendation is to tailor your location to your kids' interests. As you probably got from um, our exploration, there's a state park or public land for any and every interest. You know, if you like to swim, bike, boat, climb, fish, even if you, you know, want to go to a non-camping attraction like a like an amusement park or something, camp close to the amusement park and just use it as you would a hotel. My seventh recommendation then, I guess this is my last one, is that state parks can be magical year round. And if you, especially if you don't like the crowds, you can really have pristine winter wonderlands to yourself in the winter months as well. Awesome. And actually one bonus tip, and I, this is because I don't like a lot of clutter. I would call myself a minimalist. I always clean the house before I go camping so that I can come home to a clean house and I can wash the fire smell out of my hair and put my feet up and read a book. Yes. <laughs> it's my bonus tip. I love it. Those are fantastic. I love it. Thank you so much for even curating those and thinking those through. Yeah. Thank you, Heidi. I appreciate you being on. And if people want to connect with you, you are in the Ordinary Sherpa Facebook group. Is that probably the best way to connect with you? Yeah. Yes, I'd say so. I've flirted with getting Instagram, but I'm trying to, like so many people, minimize the amount of time I'm on screen. So I'm, I'm just on Facebook for now, but I'm happy to to chat with anybody. And if anybody's coming to the Madison, Wisconsin area, look me up and happy to have you stay with us or show you around town. Yeah, let's go camping, right? Okay. Yeah, (laughs) let's do it. Next weekend if you're available. (laughs) Right? I'm always up for camping. Always up for it. Awesome. Well, thank you. I just want to leave one parting tip because I'm going to be doing an episode here coming up on um, like gifts for adventurous people. And you kind of alluded to this. So I just want to leave one parting tip. Tracy mentioned that state park passes are only $28. And I had heard a uh, nonprofit actually did this for their staff because they don't get huge budgets. And rather than doing like a Christmas party and catering a meal, they decided to buy all of their staff a state park pass because it was one of the things that fits their budget. And I was like, that is the best idea ever. So it is a really good option to consider. And encourage staff to use vacation time too, to go and visit those state parks. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. There's also, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a partnership between Wisconsin State Parks, the DNR, and 20 libraries around the Milwaukee area where the 20 libraries are going to be handing out state park passes to people who might not otherwise be able to afford them. So I think that's a really innovative partnership as well. That is fantastic. We need to do another episode just on library resources because I am finding so many things on public libraries. One of the hacks when we're on our gap year is... We're doing piano lessons and we're stopping at local libraries around the country to do our piano lessons. I think that's kind of That is so cool. I love that. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being such an awesome member in the Ordinary Sherpa community. And let's uh, keep on adventuring. Thank you, Heidi. Thanks for having me. See you all out there.
Thank you, Tracy. Seriously, is she not a mega fan? And she's just such an amazing resource. I have 12 key takeaways from this episode. Number one, a Cicerone is a fun way to dive deeper into beer culture and inspiration to stop at some pretty interesting places along your travels. Number two, a family goal to visit all 49 Wisconsin state parks was a cost-effective way to see interesting places of the state, such as the Cape Cod equivalent or county in Wisconsin, and also allow their oldest to thrive in the outdoors. Number three, hiking, swimming, and camping in state parks have very low barriers to entry. As $28 for a state resident pass, it's a very fun way to discover what is unique about each park. Number four, there were five different state parks referenced in this episode, and there are links to all of them in the show notes. The ones that we highlighted were Straight Lakes State Park, Kohler Andre State Park, Big Bay State Park, Wyalusing, and Devil's Lake. Again, all of those will be linked in the show notes. Number five, her tips for camping with kids. One of them was to lower your expectations. You might need to leave early or it's okay to go out for dinner. Number six, Camp with a big group of friends, or if you are a parent of multiples, plan on a one-on-one trip. It just gives a completely different experience and doesn't require as much demands on the parent. Number seven, it takes 45 minutes of unstructured play for kids to start being creative and using their imagination. It takes time for them to acclimate to their surroundings, so allow enough buffer space for kids to acclimate. Number eight, pack light keep things easy. Challenge yourself to leave the what-if items behind. It will make you more resourceful in the moment. Number nine, dress for every occasion. While spring and fall is their favorite time to camp, it might be cooler, even though there's less bugs, which means wool base layers, raincoats, and pants are very essential to their packing lists. Number 10, tailor your location based on your kids' interests. There are state parks for nearly everything. Number 11, state parks can be magical year-round. Try to go when there's less people. Explore what makes those areas unique, regardless of what the temperatures are. And number 12, state park passes are a great gift. Again, as a resident, it's $28. For a non-resident, it's $38. It's a great way to encourage your staff, family, or friends to get outside to do something healthy and explore what makes their state unique. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As we said in this episode, I'll see you out there. Let's get on adventuring. value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.